Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. Hey, thank you guys so much for coming tonight um, on a Sunday night. I don't know how much there is to do, but I'm really glad that you're here. I say this every Sunday, and I mean it every Sunday. It is, you think I'm like blocking out the sun that's not up. It's the lights that are up. Uh, I just mean this every Sunday. It is the joy of a lifetime to just worship with you guys. Now, we know in a setting like this, there are people who come with faith that they said, I've carried this faith, and it doesn't feel heavy, and I've carried it all my life. And we say, welcome. We're glad you're here. And there are other people who say, I have zero capacity for any faith, and especially coming to church, and this is a big step of, not faith, courage for you. And I just want to say to you, we're really glad you're here. In fact, what you'll find in tonight's message, tonight's teaching, is we shouldn't do church without you if you're a seeker. And um, if we tried, we'd find ourselves not really being changed by the scriptures. And I, and I just want to encourage you if you're here and you're seeking at all. You say, I don't, I don't know what that means. What I'm asking is this. Are you looking for truth and what the impact that that would have on your life? If you are, then I would say welcome. And I hope my goal is that each one of us can take one step towards a God that looks like Jesus. And especially in this Advent series where we're talking about what it is to wait. Now, here's what's interesting. When we talk about waiting, Corey mentioned that Advent is a liturgical word for waiting and waiting for an arrival. When we talk about waiting, we're not waiting like we do when we're kids for our Christmas gifts. That's not how we're waiting. What we're doing is we're waiting with pain, wondering if God's going to show up. This is what it meant to wait for the coming Messiah. If we can get ourselves in that place, I don't think it's going to be too hard because I think all of us have these areas and seasons we're in where we wait for the coming Messiah. We wonder if God is real and he's really personal, can he really do something in my life? And so instead of doing scripture reading, which we usually will have scripture up and we'll meditate on scripture, there's a song that I want us to take four minutes to listen to, to look at the lyrics and to internalize. And the song, it's a Christmas song, but it's like it just came out, and so you you may have heard it before, but it's not your traditional Christmas song. Um, And if you can just make space in your heart. So liturgy, the reason we read Scripture is, is it's a tradition within the church that we take words of other people about God and we meditate on them and open up our hearts to them and see if there's anything there. That's exactly what we're doing now in a more contemporary fashion. So I'm going to pray and then we're just going to listen to a song for about four minutes. And what you'll find is the imagery of this song probably resonates with you more than a typical Christmas carol. And it's meant to do that. And just look, four minutes of listening to a song and and just kind of being calm is really healthy. And if you go, it's weird. It's okay. Get past minute two and it won't be weird anymore. It's healthy. So let's do that. Let me pray. Jesus, we wait on you. And for those of us with deep doubt, we know you are there in the gospel saying, um, come with me and showing us the scars that you have that really resonate with the scars in our life. And God, those of us with strong faith, I pray that you would ignite our faith even more. 
Jesus' name. Amen. How powerful it is to actually get the imagery of from Bethlehem's soil grew Calvary's sequoia. When we think of Christmas, there's a lot of imagery that will come to mind. So a lot of it's going to come, most of it's going to come from media. And in this series, we're doing a thrill of hope. I, I'm, I'm wanting you to actually pull yourself away from whatever theology, so theology meaning questions and answers about God, whatever theology you have about Christmas that's not shaped by the narrative of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So if you have a hard time believing in the Bible, just to be able to look at these and say, man, these are reliable accounts of what happened. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. When we think about the, the Christmas story, we'll have this. We'll have a lot of, uh, there's a movie out called The Star. Have you seen The Star? Has anybody here seen The Star yet? No, we're just not that cool. I think, I think that uh, The Star is a kill, uh, children's movie. I'm not, I'm not like putting The Star down. But what you'll notice is even in that depiction, you'll have these animals that it's like highly comedic. And the three wise men are coming in and the donkeys are, are the camels are tired. And the wise men just kind of look like these men dressed up like women and they don't look like they can accomplish much. And so it makes it confusing when you hear that King Herod was threatened by their arrival and you go, I wouldn't be threatened by their arrival. I think it'd be a little strange. Maybe invite them in for cookies. And this, all Hollywood does this to us. It's not just those stories, like it's not just those movies, it's also in the songs. And so I'm not trying to ruin Christmas carols for you. I really like Christmas carols. We just sang two of them together, if you got here within the first 15 minutes, which in Denver we don't do, okay? But just so you know, we did sing two Christmas carols together, but like Silent Night. The person who wrote Silent Night has obviously never had a child because it is not calm, it is not silent. Uh, women are screaming, babies are screaming, and men are wondering what is going on. I don't know what just happened to my life. This is what Silent Night is not, doesn't have those sort of lyrics. So we draw theology from these different things. What we find is this. Somehow Christmas is not thrilling. Somehow it's calm. comes every year. There's like a Christmas tree and a manger together. We don't quite know how to reconcile the things, but it just, it's calm, okay? It's calm. Santa's somewhere in the picture, but thrilling, like thrilling. It's not thrilling. This is why it's really important during this series that you text in your questions. Because if you're thinking about the arrival of Jesus, if you're thinking about the arrival of God coming to earth wrapped in flesh, that should like spark a whole lot of questions for you. And if you're thinking about that, you're going to wonder what are the implications of Jesus, of God coming in flesh in the God-man. And that should like unleash a lot of questions. I challenge you as thinking people who want to pursue truth and as people who say, I want to take a step forward in my journey, text in questions. Text in questions. Because a thrill of hope doesn't really line up with the star, silent night, and little bells, right? It doesn't really line up. Like Jingle I'm not going to keep going, okay? Jingle Bells is great. It has nothing to do with Jesus, but it's a good song. A thrill. Like a, a thrill, the definition of thrill is like it's split. It can go two ways. Because thrill can be something that is enjoyable and pleasurable. Okay, so think about this. If I said, 
the boy on Christmas morning heard, uh, was thrilled by the sound of his alarm. Okay? He, it's enjoyable. It creates in him pleasure. He's excited. It's excited. He's excited. He's, it's delightful. Or before the test, she was thrilled by the sound of her alarm. Right? Now you're nervous. Right? There's terror that strikes through you. And thrill can do both those things to you. And in what we're about to read, you will actually find those are the two reactions. One is an incredible delight. They are thrilled. One is, is horror, like absolute horror at the arrival of a baby. And, um, and that's by a king. And really, those are the two depictions. Now, there's a third of indifference we'll talk about. But those are the depictions of our reactions. So whatever you can do during the series, you will have one of those reactions. So we broaden it to the three, one of indifference, one of absolute terror, or one of delight and joy. And my, my goal here, just to share my cards with you, my goal is that we move forward with delight and joy. That's my goal. My goal is that we are actually thrilled at the sound of Jesus. And you can still be thrilled at the sound of jingle bells, but be more thrilled when you hear that there is God in flesh, that this would take on an incredibly refreshing and intense meaning for, for you. And so I want to pull away from you whatever theology Hollywood and, and uh, Christmas carols would create in your heart, and I want to present with you uh, the gospel story. And uh, the gospel story of Jesus' arrival. And here's what's amazing. What we're going to really dive into are these three wise men. Okay, There wasn't three. Okay, and if you go, well, is the Bible true? The Bible never says there's three, okay? That's what you got from some other songs about them coming from afar. But what we're going to dive into are these wise men. Now, here's what's interesting about these wise men. I'm convinced after studying this that, like, if they didn't arrive, it would have kind of pulled the power away from what was happening. And there were prophecies that probably wouldn't have been accomplished. And their arrival was strong. Like their faith in Jesus, they didn't have reason to have faith in Jesus like you and I do, but their faith in what was happening and this baby being born is incredible. And they were magi, okay? And we'll get more into that in just a second. I want to read you a quote um, by a 19th century Christian who was an archbishop, an Anglican bishop. This is what he says about the magi, okay? About the three wise men that we're about to jump into their story. This is what he says. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no wise words out of his mouth. They saw nothing but a newborn infant on the lap of a poor woman, but they worshipped. They worshipped. No greater faith than this can be found in the whole volume of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought of those three little guys on a camel in your nativity set as like the greatest faith in the whole Bible, the greatest display. Now, is this this person's opinion? Yeah, it's this person's opinion, but I want you to think about it. There's no miracles that were happening. Like if miracles were taking place right in front of you, to have faith in the person performing the miracle is a little easier, right? And, and there's not even word of mouth that like this is the person, like the, the centurion who wanted Jesus to heal his daughter he pretty much said, I understand how authority works. You have authority. Just say the word and it'll be done. He understood something about Jesus. They don't have any of this. They arrive on a scene and there's a baby in a poor woman's lap 
and it says they fall down and they worship and they offer gifts. And according to this archbishop, there is no greater display of faith, according to him, in the whole entire Bible. So let's read the story, because it's really thrilling and exciting. Let's read the story. Can you put the passage up? Thank you. Now, after Jesus, this is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, now this is actually not taking place right when Jesus is born. Okay, it's not like silent night happened and didn't happen and then they show up and then, no, no, this is years later. They show up in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now they're showing up to the door of a king. Okay, and I don't know if you understand like ancient and Eastern culture at all, but for people to show up with gifts at the door of a king and say, hey, fist bump, but we're here for someone else. A baby, right? We're here to worship a baby. So this is the response. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Okay, that word is like, <laughs> he was in terror. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem, for so it is written by the prophet. Now, this is a quote out of Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Far from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So he's like trying to play their game, right? Because they're star readers and he's trying to see what's happening with them. And he, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, it doesn't take a genius to see Herod's not going to worship Jesus, right? I too may worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. With great joy. So at what's pointing to Jesus, they're rejoicing. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They fell down and worshiped him. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. The wrong messengers, completely wrong messengers, with the right response. And you wouldn't actually, um, if you know the story, who the magi are you'll you'll probably agree these are the wrong messengers so let's talk about what it why they're the wrong messengers and i want to give hope to the people in here that you say uh, i i haven't arrived whatever that means like i don't and 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 maybe you're actually proud of it which to be honest with you you should see yourself as on a journey you're on a journey and you're discovering things and you're seeing how those things change your life and uh these were the wrong messengers in every way the Magi, you can't really translate the word that that comes from in the Old Testament. You can't translate it because it's talking about a tribe. It's talking about like a group of people within a much bigger tribe, okay? 
Um, and, and it's talking about these people who have throughout history, they've been valuable to Babylonian empires, to Greek empires, now to Roman empires, and to Jewish empires. And the Magi are not these weak people that you just see. Maybe they just have all this gold and diamonds and they're on these camels. I don't know if you ever ridden a camel, but there's nothing manly that like I feel when I'm riding a camel, right? Like when I'm, when I'm sitting on a camel and you go, how often you've ridden, ridden a camel? Enough, okay? When I sit on a camel and I'm riding a camel, I'm going, I don't know. I just don't feel like a man. I don't know what's going on. I just don't feel it. Okay, if you picture the Magi like that, you need to like scrap that. Picture them on a stallion, okay? And it doesn't fit with history. Picture them on something else, okay? Picture them, the Magi are these very powerful people. Powerful. Um, And they're actually referred to throughout history as king makers. Now starting to change things. Magi are king makers and they've adopted a few things into their practices. Uh, one of them is astronomy. So they they know about the stars and the, and when stars line up, when they don't line up, what what planets they didn't really have names for them like we do. But but when certain stars shine brighter than the others, they will depict different sorts of signs. Astrology. And they started getting into all different types of practices, pagan practices even, right? And then you, so you have this group of magi that are actually becoming so influential that to become a king in the ancient Near Eastern um, Medo-Persian culture, what they said were two things. One, you have to learn the sciences of the magi. You have to learn their ways. You have to learn the laws of the magi, okay? And two is you have to pretty much be ordained by them. Like they have to come and and bless you and make you a king. They were the kingmakers. Then you go into Daniel, the book of Daniel. And so with Nebuchadnezzar reigning, they are still very influential. And you have Daniel who gains great influence over the Magi. Great influence. And he starts to teach them prophecies about the coming Messiah. Daniel does. And as he starts to teach them this, these are things that they haven't heard before. If they have, they've forgotten. But it's likely that they haven't heard these things before. And if you know anything about Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar says, here's my statue, I want you to bow to my statue, Daniel didn't do it. So you go, what's he doing mixing with these like pagan occultish people? And Daniel was having incredible influence over them. They're passion for spiritual things was there. Like they're geared up and ready to see if God's real, what is he saying? And they were monotheistic, by the way. They did believe in in mainly one God, but it was like, what was that God like? We say a Jesus looking God, obviously that would be foreign to them because this is before Jesus was born. But even that sort of description of this type of looking God, they probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't agree. So you have Daniel giving great influence over the Magi. And then in the 6th century, you have a king who declares like a one religion. Okay, So this this one religion that he declares after Daniel um, is monotheistic. And it's the worship of a single god named Horo Mazda, okay? And you go, that's like my car. It's not your car at all, okay? This is the name of a single God. And when he, he did that, the Magi needed to keep their jobs. They were political priests. They needed to keep their jobs. They needed to abide um, by the national religion. They needed to kind of like use that religion to leverage their political position. This never happens at all. 
in America. And so the, they're the bad power, and they just go, okay, layers upon layers. We just we take what we knew from ancient Near Eastern culture as we were assembled and from Babylonian context, and we take what Daniel's taught us, and then we kind of mash this together, and it's layers upon layers of confusing practice. Now, I want to ask you, if you're making this stuff up, would you want these people being the first to kind of go and say, this is him? No. No, you don't want them to be the ones to make him a kingmaker, if you're making this up. Um, but if God is into using the wrong messengers, like the completely wrong messengers, this is how it felt, is that they don't have it together. In fact, you're talking about a people who um, are pagan, God-fearing, but what God are they fearing? And do they fear God enough to not weasel their way in and out of political stances and conversations and priestly roles? No, not at all. No, they're, And you, you have these sort of people, but you have a prophecy taught to them by Daniel, a devoted prophet, and you, you have a sect of them who are committed to seeing if that God is coming. According to the prophecy, this is not just the king of Israel. This is the king of kings. And these are like the first fruits of the Gentile nation. These aren't Jews that are doing this. These are people like you and I that don't have some sort of inheritance or right to the faith, that we are discovering what it's like to identify ourselves on a journey with this Jesus-looking God, wondering what is faith about and they go, this is worth, this is actually worth pursuing. So you have king makers showing up at the door of Herod, way more than three of them, by the way, showing up at the door of Herod. And when they're there, imagine these people make kings, okay? They're like, they're the ones that do it. So Herod can't really kill them because when you kill a kingmaker, what are you saying? I'm not a king. And I was threatened. And so he kind of has to play along. And they come here and they say, we're looking for a baby. And by the way, the baby did not become king like you, Herod, who inherited that from his father. The baby is king. The baby is king. By the nature of the prophecy, the star, and what's happening, the baby is king. It's the wrong messengers. You would think that the Jewish people would be the ones to pick this up and ordain him somehow, you would think that, but no, no, they, they worship. Before Jesus was teaching in a temple, and before people, their jaws were dropping at what a 12-year-old is teaching in the temple, they said, he's king now. And they come to adore him as king. And they're the wrong ones. They're not the right messengers. They're not the people that you picture in the story. They're not... They're not the ones that you say that if you were, if you can put yourself in the nation of Israel and you're waiting for a Messiah, this is why Advent's so powerful. They're not the ones that you would say that, yeah, they're, they're the ones that we're hoping will call out the Messiah. God has come to us to save us. They're not those people. But here's what's fascinating. God often uses the wrong messengers. He often does. Like he uses the ones that you think are outside and then the ones who are inside are disoriented. And they don't know what's happening. And for you, you may feel like the wrong messenger. Like you may be tempted to talk about your faith at work or at home. And you just go, I'm the wrong one. I haven't arrived. I'm still seeking. 
I'm confused. I, I don't even know if I belong here at church. You're the wrong messenger. And by all accounts, in your mind, you're the wrong messenger. And what I would say to you is God's in the business of using you. God's in the business of your sensitivity to what he's doing. Because notice how they responded. Is everything pointed them to Jesus. And they respond by worshiping. This is a response of absolute joy and delight. And if you're here and you go, the thought of Jesus doesn't bring me joy and delight anymore. May you be like them still seeking. It's the people who kind of their hearts, like that song has said, kind of froze over. Like frost to a rose. Their hearts are froze over. And they're actually, um, they're the ones that are indifferent in the passage. So if you feel like the wrong messenger, welcome to the club. The story welcomes you into it. And we have a lot to learn from you. All of us do. And your friends have a lot to learn from you. And that's not to make you arrogant. What it's to do is to say, if you're genuinely seeking, you're genuinely seeking. And as you look at the nature around you in Denver and you go into the mountains and you go, this is pointing to someone greater. You start to realize, yeah, it is. And, um, and I'm just going to respond to that in tears in worship and adoration, in joy and delight. There's so many of you that go hiking all the time and you're pulling a magi on us, okay? That'll be a new saying for us. They, they, they like, they're following the signs to the one it's pointing to. And when you go hiking and you go, just the beauty of nature does something to me and you respond to the creator with great joy. You may be the wrong messenger in the religious people's eyes, but man, you have so much to offer us. And here, here's the other thing I'd like to ask you. Um, have you stopped moving forward because the people who are speaking to you, you see them as the wrong messenger? The people who are speaking into your life, whether it be through meetup, maybe you're here at the church and, and you go, I don't buy into this whole merge thing. It's like I don't. And, and you say, it's hard for me to learn. And you say, you're the wrong messenger, Preston. Great. Well, so are the Magi. So listen up for a few minutes. And maybe you're here and you say that you have nothing to learn from the conservative side. You go, they're conservative and I don't have anything to learn from them. They're the wrong messengers. And maybe you're on the conservative side and you go, I can't learn anything from the liberal side. They're the wrong messengers. They're liberal. So you'll never learn from the other side. You'll never learn. And it's going to take a person from your side to influence you. What I'd say to you is that's not humility and that's not a teachable spirit and that's not the type of spirit the Magi have. And that's not the type of spirit that's going to respond with joy at the coming of Christ. That's not the same type of spirit. And if you say, I can't listen to my parents because what do they know? They raised me in church and now I'm mad at them and I don't even want anything to do with them and, and on and on and on and on. They may be the wrong messengers, but do you not see that God is in the business of doing that? Or if you're a parent, you go, I can't learn from my kids. They're the wrong messengers. Yeah, your, your kids probably are not the wrong messengers. They're probably going to reveal so much to you. And have you stopped moving forward because you just look at the whole world and you say, they're all the wrong messengers. I need someone like me, thinking like me, challenging me in the way I want to be challenged. And what I would say to you would be just look at the scriptures. Look at what God did to the people who were on the inside. He sent the wrong messengers to break them out of the inside and to have them respond in joy and delight. One of my friends who's here, 
who's an atheist and he's like one of my best friends in the city of Denver. We were getting coffee a few weeks ago and um, and he told me this. He said, I don't believe in God, but I think God is necessary when thinking about how to make sense of certain things in the world. And I want you to know this. If you think you have nothing to learn from people who think different than you, you're wrong. Because what that did to my spirit was it was a breath of fresh air to say, man, what a great way to break out of the box that I sometimes feel like I'm in, that I have everything understood. And I don't. And I would challenge you, let the wrong messengers move you forward. It'll make you respond to Jesus with delight because you'll see things from a new perspective. And here's the third question. Who would be the right messenger for you? What would be the right messenger? So what would it take for you to take a step towards Jesus tonight? Who would be the right messenger? An angel to appear? And you're like, no, that'd just be weird. Well, that's the wrong messenger again. And then the wrong messenger is the right messenger. So we, we understand. So like, what would be the right? And, and here's what I would say to you. I want to talk to you about the right response. Because what we said here is that the wrong messengers have the right response. Here's, here's the right response. Worship. That's the response. And, and here's what worship is in this context. You ready? Worshiping Jesus means joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. In this context, what they do is joyfully joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. It's throughout the passage. It's throughout. Like we see they arrive, and by the side of the star, they have incredible joy that they're saying that the person we're looking for, things are pointing to him, and I'm getting really excited because he's got to be greater than these things, right? And when we talk about the star, what we're talking about is, like there's a whole lot of views on what the star could have been. So the star could have been like, you could just picture this brighter star than normal. It could have been a divine star that was placed there. But this is what's fascinating. God used their current place spiritually in order to draw them to Jesus. So they were gazing at the stars. They were star gazers. And as they're doing that, they're being drawn in to Jesus, right? And they ascribe worth to him, worth and authority to him. I mean, to fall on your knees before someone is you give them the authority over you. So if you don't practice um, prayer, then this may sound strange to you, but for those of you who do, practice prayer sometime this week by way of falling on your knees. And you'll feel, you'll feel a difference being made. Because what you're doing is you're ascribing authority and worth and dignity. Talk about dignity. This is a baby in a poor woman's lap. They don't have anything. And they're worshiping the child and they give, they give sacrificial gifts. These gifts of great sacrifice. They give. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it starts, the prophecy, it's giving us a literal account of when this was prophesied. And they're adhering to this. They're going, everything we've studied, everything we've followed, the way our lives have been formed, all points to being fulfilled in this man or baby, this baby. 
And that, like that song we just listened to before said, you could have to, you could have just come to save us, but instead you, you sent a child. The way he did it was amazing. So it's the wrong messengers with the right response. And you will, by the way, you will have one of three responses. Worship, which would be ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. We'll talk about it in a second. If you go this way, you're going to pull an offering on us like that other church. No, no, we're not going to do that. Um, by sacrificial gifts, what I mean is something way more important than what you can put in a basket. Um, your heart. Right? So that would be one area. That's one response. Or this. That's the right response. Here's another response. is King Herod. Terror. Absolute terror. Threatened King Herod's lordship. Everything about Jesus' arrival threatened King Herod. And when the Magi were at the door, guess what? That was like the nail in the coffin. They say, we're, we're here to proclaim that there is a king. And there's a star. And like we're, we're just trying to figure out where we're going. Absolute terror. Because what you have to know is this. If he created the universe and everything in it. For him to reign over your life. And to fulfill your joy. Like this is what you're made for. It fulfills joy. For him to do that means you don't have the throne anymore. And Herod knew this. At least he was being honest. But he knew this. And he was threatened. Or there's indifference. There's total indifference. It's like the outsiders are totally moved by the scriptures and the prophecies. And the insiders, not at all. They know it. Man, do they know it. Not moved. Indifferent. And we have to respond during Advent in one of these ways. In one of these ways. And for me, I want to respond with the right response. And I want you to know Advent is an incredible season where I can just say this, this one phrase, which is the phrase we actually ask everyone that we're going to give a gift to. Okay, So when you give a gift to someone, you typically, unless you know them way, way better than yourself. Okay, And, and if you're married, you know, like you actually always ask this question. And you'll text this question to your parents. And here's the question when you give someone a gift. You say, what do you want? <laughs> that's the question. And you can say, what's your Christmas wish list? I don't know. But that's not like the real question. The question is, what do you want? What is it that you want? What do you want? So my brother who used to work at Starbucks last Christmas, if I got him a Starbucks gift card, stupid. That doesn't make sense. I almost did. But then I asked him, I said, what do you want? And it was something entirely different. It's the question we ask when we're giving a gift to people. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? With a nicer tone than that, you know. What do you want? What do you want? Whatever, however you ask it. Or you text it. What do you want? With like a smiley face. Because it makes everything better over text. And you ask this question, but here's the person we don't ask this question to would be when we respond to Jesus. You say, how do I worship him? Ask the question. What does he want? What does he want? What does God want from me? And allow your heart to sit there for a second and to wait and to be patient and to be honest that the thing that has your attention most of the time is probably the thing that he wants. He wanted all of their practice to point to him, and it did. And they brought these sacrificial gifts that like nobody else can afford, and they laid it before him, and I just think we move forward towards Jesus with the right response. We're all the wrong messengers, by the way. We're all the wrong messengers. 
and we move with the right response when we ask the question, what do you want? And we listen. We listen. I'm going to tell you a story. The worship team is going to come up, and we're going to have a great time of response. I want to tell you the story about our Christmas tree. I'll show you a few pictures. Our Christmas tree is really unique. Um, that right there is Spider-Man, okay, on our Christmas tree. And that's the first gift that I usually put up, or the first, um, it was a gift at one point. That's the first ornament I usually put up, and I love it. So that's Spider-Man. The kids try to take it off the tree, and they go to the room for it. But he stays there. He stays in the middle of the tree. Let's go to some more ornaments. You can't see that. That's a little squirrel sitting on a pocket knife with a marshmallow, okay? You know, that doesn't make sense. I know. Let's keep going. Can you go to the next one, please? Uh, that's Well, that doesn't make any more sense. That's uh, Santa on a fire pole sliding down. Let's go to the next one. It's Minnie Mouse skating. Doesn't really seem like it fits on a tree. Okay, let's go to the next one. It's a bird, and it fits on a tree, right? For some reason, birds and trees go together, and there's our tree. So keep that up there for a second. That tree has a lot of traditional approaches on it. So it has like just regular circle ornaments. And then it also has birds, which is more traditional, and ribbons. And then it has Spider-Mans. I even have a Batman with a bat signal. You push the side and it just goes, right? I have that on the tree. I have Nolan Ryan on the tree from the Rangers. I have like all kinds of different things from when I was growing up. And now a tradition is our kids, before we put the tree up, we get to every year they get to go pick an ornament. So Rudolph and Minnie were there ornaments this year. Why do I tell you this? It's because the traditional tree doesn't look like that, and that looks a little funky, but it's necessary for our family. It's necessary. And I want to tell you, if you're here and you're the wrong messenger, you're a seeker, you don't have everything together, and you're pursuing, but you don't know at what pace. It's different on certain days. But man, you're actually like in it. You're, you're in it to move. But, but you'd say, I haven't arrived. I'm not the traditional church person. I don't fit on the tree like most ornaments. You're necessary for our family. You're 100% necessary. Your reaction to Jesus will spark something that needed to be sparked in us because so many of us grow old and dry. And like, we don't even respond to Jesus anymore. We respond to our frustrations about a thousand things about Jesus, but not to Jesus. So I'm telling you, you may feel like the Santa on a fire pole or the squirrel on a pocket knife, but you are necessary. You are 100% necessary. This family, Discover Church in the Highlands, needs you. We need you. And if you're here and you're more traditional, you say, I'm the more traditional person, and thank you for sitting through a non-traditional feeling church. And we need you too. We need you too, because what you'll do is you'll help us stay grounded. And you'll, you'll help us realize, man, the prophecies and the scriptures and the text and all these sort of things and the lanes to run in in conversations. I want this family, and I think that according to um, the church in the New Testament, this family, church families, should be made up of seekers, traditional folks, black, white, Republican, Democrat, all the wrong messengers in your mind are actually the right messengers in God's. If you're the wrong messenger, according to you or the person sitting next to you, you're the right messenger according to God. You're the right one. But you must have the right response. And so that's what I want us to respond to tonight. I don't want us to move through Advent indifferent. 
And I don't want us to move to, through Advent threatened by Jesus. I want us to move through Advent in a way that we respond with joy and delight, that we say things are pointing to Jesus. 